Hi everyone, my name is Navridi. And I'm Eric. And welcome to our podcast, Above and Below, where we interview changemakers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us. So today we're going to talk about knowledge sharing. What is it? And really, what is it? We didn't think too much about it. Maybe we do it unconsciously in the workplace. But Navridi, what did you think when you first heard knowledge sharing? Yeah, the term knowledge sharing, you know, I don't think I really knew what that was until uh, we met our guests that we're having today. I thought knowledge sharing reminds me of, you know, people connecting and learning from each other in some way. Um, Maybe, you know, people sharing just like links through a chat. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's done informally a lot or I think of lunch and learns where people bring their lunch into Mm -hmm. a conference room and they talk about something. Or it's like a class or a workshop. Yeah. But yeah, today our guest is going to actually tell us how she turned knowledge sharing into a product. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested in learning what that is and how effective it is. So today we have Hedva Kleinhandler, founder and CEO of Emerge in our studio. Welcome, Hedva. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming in all the way from Israel, Tel Aviv. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, so why don't we start and just tell us a bit about yourself and um, what is Emerge and why does it exist? Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm not someone who ever thought I'll be a founder and CEO of a startup. Uh, really, my weird career path brought me here. And that's one of the things that I also understood about people in general and talking about the future of work, how work is changing and our careers are changing. That's definitely what brought me to where, what I'm doing right now. And Emerge is sort of the culmination of all that. Uh, it's really about uh, serving people in the workplace uh, with the best access to pr- personal and professional growth through knowledge, through opportunities, and through lifelong learning. So Emerge is essentially a software that's providing a tool for companies to provide mentorship, guidance, and is really a bridge for connection between people uh, within an organization. So I'm curious to know, um, what was it that sparked this idea? Yeah, so there's a kind of a long story uh, uh, behind this because uh, I started my first business when I was 21. I never really worked in a large organization or let alone a corporate. Um, But when I started, I understood that I was really good at the specific thing that I did, which was uh, translation and content. Mm. But even though I was talented, I was good at it, I loved it, I still was missing a lot of other things. And those other things I understood were not something that I can go back to school to learn or read in a book. They're actually the knowledge and skills and experiences that you only learn by either experiencing them or by learning from other people around you. And at that point, I was sure I'm the only person in the world who had that need because I was self-employed, because I was very young. I didn't have um, any higher education or or any uh, work experience. So I was sure I'm the only person in the world who needs 
knowledge sharing, whether it's mentoring, whether it's job shadowing, however you may call it. Uh, but fast forward uh, a few years, I was, my business was growing and more and more people came to me for advice, even people who do work in large organizations. And for me, it was really, really surprising and even disturbing to understand that how you can be surrounded by other people who have the knowledge, the skills, the experience, exactly those things that you need in order to learn and grow and be better at what you do and feel more comfortable in your career. And still you can feel that you don't have access to it. So that got me sort of uh, uh, experimenting and questioning the way things were. And as I was starting to research it um, and really concentrate a lot of my time on it, so just because it was such a big question, I understood that actually this need is also the need of the actual companies, of the organizations. It's not just like we're the employees and we're you know, trying and struggling to grow, but organizations don't have a stake at it. Actually, organizations are dealing with uh, employee attrition because people who don't feel like they're growing and learning will go elsewhere. Uh, they're dealing with uh, productivity. They're dealing with their own need for rapid growth. Uh, so they have a lot of people in different locations and different departments. And if there is no exchange of you know knowledge and skills and learning between those people, then the, the, the growth is stalled. So that's how Emerge came about. That's really interesting. I, I have a very similar experience in the sense that I was in college and then I did grad school and I largely worked for myself. I worked in corporate like here and there, but um, when you're on your own for the most part, um, you do have this feeling like, oh, maybe I'm missing out on this corporate experience. Um, when in fact, when you're on your own a lot, you have to force yourself to take on a lot and teach yourself a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really interesting find that you discovered um, because I do find like when a lot of people I know stuck in corporate for a long time, they kind of stagnate, maybe get used to doing the same thing over and over because that's how a lot of companies expect people to work, just to do the same thing. And when Navridi and I go into companies, we find that um, you know people may not know basic things because maybe they're afraid to ask or they feel like they should know something by now. Mm-hmm. For sure, I think a lot of times people are even encouraged to stay in their lane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, even when I was self-employed, I completely relate. It's exactly what you said. But even now that we're a small company, everyone wears multiple different hats. And when you grow, sometimes it's just comfortable for every person to do whatever they want. But then when they're ready to stop stagnating and to grow, then they're sort of met with this question, okay, so how do I even go about it now, right? What do I do? Who do I talk to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, working with different companies, you know, when I was working in the corporate world as well, I think there was a lot of expectation, or maybe it wasn't even a, you know, a thoughtful intention that, you know, oh, you should be learning on your own. And I often felt like having, you know, someone who could teach me the ropes was really a novelty. You know, because you run into a lot of managers, a lot of leaders, people who have been there a while, but that doesn't mean they're the best teachers or they even know how to teach or mentor. So, you know, I definitely felt the pressure to kind of like figure it out on my own, you know? Completely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, I, I never thought about it, but now that you're putting it this way, I think it's kind of a privilege that we have when we're self-employed or when we are a small business. You have to learn, you have to think on your feet. Mm-hmm. So then... You think about it as a business, so you'll do whatever you can to grow it and to um, sort of network or to learn or whatever will t- take you to the next step. And when you're inside a larger company, you're 
you don't have to. So then like also maybe you feel awkward about it. But I think a lot of what we're talking about with the, the, the workplace changing and the future of work is that people are starting to manage their careers like businesses. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I think I'm seeing that a lot also in the younger generation that is used to being on the internet and finding everything that they need. Maybe not everybody knows how to use resources appropriately all the time, but um, that's probably also why there's ageism too in the workplace. It's mm-hmm. a big problem because the older generation wasn't, you know, they're just experiencing it now that like they have to catch up because things are changing daily, <laughs> weekly, you know. It's Yeah, for sure. It's really interesting the, the, on the subject of ageism. I was just talking with... Um, an Israeli founder who's been here in the U.S. for, for years, um, also coming in with like a, after they, they fundraised but not a large uh, round. And I asked him, how did they do? How, did, how were they able to hire people? So he actually said they hired people who were just uh, before retiring age. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the one hand, they maybe were less younger or less hungry. But on the other hand, they knew that it was it would be so hard for them to get like sort of a traditional corporate job just before. So they were actually hungrier and were more, more open-minded in a lot of ways. So maybe you do get to some junctions or, or, or steps in, in your career where actually even if before that you were able to, to like just uh, follow sort of the corporate way of doing things, uh, you sort of met with this need and, and, and it opens your mind a little bit. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, but you know we're talking about about mentorship and uh, and guidance in the workplace, and you know we're calling it knowledge exchange. So can you tell us how how would you define knowledge exchange and what does it mean? We actually started by calling it mentoring as well, and then we added job shadowing, and then we were going to add <laughs> even more things. And at some point, we had a conversation, and we said, "Hey, it doesn't really matter what form." Uh, this takes, so in what way the knowledge changes hands, but it's actually people who are exchanging knowledge, who are learning from each other. Um, and one of the interesting things is, and I think the beauty of it, is that when you exchange knowledge, it's not just this like mentor figure who's teaching you. Actually, the person who's giving the advice is learning a lot. So their knowledge is also getting a boost. And then when they'll uh, apply it next time or when they'll talk about it next time, they will also have what they've gained from that conversation. So definitely the person who's coming for advice or, or to, for learning um, is the main uh, uh, sort of, uh, uh, they, they get the main uh, value, but the value is definitely at least dual, if not more. Um, so... One of the things that, that we see, and it's, it's not new, that, that's what the internet is based on, is that knowledge is currency. But, one of the th- but, but what is really important and, and interesting here is that it's not just dry information. It's not the, just this thing that you can read a book about or you can Google. It's really the human experience behind that knowledge. How did you get to this insight? What did you do with it? Did it work? Did it not work? What were the feelings of everyone around the table, uh, especially when it comes to work? Because yeah, you can have like this uh, Excel function, right, or formula. But most of the things that we struggle with at work have to do with the human experience behind it. Whether it is um, managing a product or engineering team, or it's negotiating sales, etc. So uh, with knowledge, we're definitely wrapping up together with that all the experience that comes with that. So I see that you have a software now. 
What can you walk us through why you decided you needed a software? Did you start with a software and how does this roll out in the workplace? Definitely. So I think the interesting thing with this is that knowledge exchange is something that naturally happens between people, right? Especially curious people, people who are excited and want to learn and grow, uh, in this case, professionally. Uh, so what we were looking to solve is how do you scale that, uh, first of all, and that's where software is a lot of, of the times the answer, but also how do you bridge the gap between locations, departments, people who will never know each other, or actually someone that sits at the desk next to you, but you don't necessarily know that they have that knowledge. You know that they're a brilliant marketing person, but you don't know that they've actually um, relocated three times in their lives for work or that they are great at conflicts resolution. So we were looking at the scale, but also at bridging the gaps and at uh, really making it very... um, not scary, not, not like a not a big heavy commitment. Because looking at like traditional mentorship or leadership programs, uh, one of the like main uh, problems is that it takes a lot of time and commitment. And and, and then you, you think, okay, so I need to meet with that person every month for a couple hours, and then I need to know that actually there's some ROI on that, and. What happens if I match with someone who I actually don't have a lot of chemistry with? Like they might have all the knowledge, right? All the dry information that I need, but not really the the human connection behind it. So we were looking at how do we make it easy, scalable, but also easier for the person who who is contributing their knowledge. So uh, the first thing that we designed in our software was really a way for you to say, hey, I want to mentor, I want to contribute my knowledge, but here are the topics that I'm actually really passionate about. Here's my availability uh, and sync my calendar so there's never double booking and stuff like that. And here's how I feel comfortable with uh, talking, whether it's a video call or, or, or a face-to-face or, or, you know, or a Slack chat, right? So really taking the heaviness out of it. So how does a company realize that it lacks a knowledge exchange or that it needs a knowledge exchange? Yeah, so I think there's like uh, a few very uh, obvious um, types of situations, and then there are like the situations that are a bit more advanced. So the obvious types are like onboarding a new employee. Um, how do you get them to really know all the not only the systems but how things are done in this company? Uh, who who should they know? Who do they go to in different types of situations? Uh, how do you create a, a sense of belonging? So onboarding is, is definitely uh, one sort of uh, very obvious uh, sort of junction in an employee's lifespan inside the organization. Another thing is training, because training is something that companies invest a lot, of, like billions in. So that's also like sort of an, a more obvious uh point in, in like the organization's life where they know, okay, we need to maybe make training easier, maybe invest more in informal training because that's actually proven to bring more results, uh, etc. But one of the things that we see now with organizations is that they're understanding that they have a lot of knowledge already existing inside the organization. All the people that they invested in hiring and really sourcing and interviewing and making sure that that person is the best fit. And then they invest in training them, like I said, like billions of dollars. Um, But then on the day-to-day level, that knowledge is just, it sits there and it's not being mapped and utilized. Uh, 
So that's really what we're excited by. Um, because when I was coming in from outside, from being like just a self-employed person who needs to be very creative about finding the knowledge, I said, hey, everything is already inside the company. How come it's so hard to actually give people access to it at the right time? So I think what, pe- what companies are really understanding more and more is that they need um, a functionality or a technology to map all that knowledge, whether it's informal knowledge that is in people's heads or it's structured knowledge like the courses in their LMS, their content in their knowledge base, et cetera, and then really be able to sort of serve that knowledge to the right person at the right time because context is everything. That's really interesting. I, I was reading earlier that historically a concern for employees about knowledge sharing is that they want to maybe retain a lot of their expertise and not necessarily impart that on other people as a fear that maybe they'll be fired one day because they're not they're no longer the one expert. Could you speak to that concern? Yeah, that that's a really uh, good question and I think it's really sort of embodies the differences and the, the changes in the workplace uh, worldwide because I do think that was a big a big issue like first of all wanting to own the knowledge on one side and also on the other side not wanting to be vulnerable and say hey I have a question I'm actually I don't know everything right <laughs> that's also a big thing so I think that's changing and, and in a weird way I think having the internet for the last you know 30 years, has been crucial in it because we're more used to actually asking things on social media, searching for things, so it's sort of like a muscle. Um, when we were, were getting ready to, to launch, a lot of people asked us, why do you think anyone would, be, would want to be a mentor? And we had a very strong gut feeling, but we didn't have the data. Now I can tell you that between 42 and 50% of our users volunteer to be mentors. And uh, while this is really cool and something, one of the things that I'm really proud of, I think the reasoning behind that is, is the really important and interesting part. So one thing is that really like they do feel like they want to share the knowledge once they've accumulated it and then we give them a way to do it in like a really accessible and not naggy way. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that they've actually understood um, and that's something cool that I, I actually uh, discovered while we were doing our survey uh, a few years ago before we even launched, that teaching someone or mentoring someone actually helps you position yourself as an expert inside your organization. Like if you just own uh, that knowledge and you know it will go to the grave with you, then okay, then maybe your project will be uh, more successful uh, because of it or whatever. But that's it. If you're able to build yourself up as leadership material, right? As an expert inside your organization, sort of broadcasting the fact that you are the go-to person on that subject, then that gives you much more potential on the growth side for your own career. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big shift, sort of, that we can see. Are there any other shifts or transformations um, you've seen through your work so far? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I uh, started thinking about Emerge four years ago, actually like really four years ago this month. Uh, It started by me doing a survey, um, which I was sure nobody would answer. And then I said, okay, nobody will answer it. That would be great. I'll get it off my system. We'll get back to my own business and that will be it. But actually over 500 people answered it within a week. And that got me from 56 different countries. It was really 
shocking and a little bit disturbing. <laughs> um, did you do a Google survey? I did a survey on this site called Survey Any Place, and then I um, posted it on my own Facebook profile on some uh, uh, Facebook groups and emailed a bunch of uh, friends mm. and colleagues. Um, it was really long. It was 30 questions. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I was sure nobody would answer it. Um, mm-hmm. And people really grab it. Like, I heard one person who said, who told our mutual friend, listen, I hated every second of taking the survey, <laughs> but I don't know why I had to, because th- those were questions that are a lot of people, people a lot of times people are not being asked right. about what's their biggest fear in their careers, who do they actually go to, et cetera. And uh, so I had like almost two years under my belt before even launching Emerge of just speaking to corporates, speaking to, to you know employees, speaking to managers, speaking to HR. And I got a lot of those answers where you asked about the shifts and, and, and I see just two years later, the answers are completely different. So one of the, the things that I was asked or I was told four years ago was, yeah, I get it. It's really cool for the end user, right? The employee. But why would I ever let an employee speak to someone who's not their direct manager about things that might be sensitive at work? Or, mm. yeah, it's really cool. It's really important. But why should people be mentors? Or why should people be mentoring people uh, instead of working on their work time? And those are things like nowadays we see with clients or just, you know, potential clients or, or just companies that we talk to, to learn from them uh, that are not only shifting, it's like a 180 degrees shift where companies are just wishing that their employees do that. And they just are looking for ways to scale it because they understand that even if it's not uh, time spent specifically on a work task, it actually contributes so much more uh, to the work and to the culture and to the rapid growth of the organization. And that's, you know, not to talk just about Emerge, like we see a lot of different startups or not necessarily software, also uh, uh, consulting agency, like a lot of things in, in the future of work. And uh, the, the time, uh, like the kind of reception that they're getting is completely different than just not so long ago. Yeah, it's sort of like recreating the classroom environment a little bit, just... It could be so transformative, even if two people pick up, you know, one new thing that's going to help them be more efficient at what they do. Totally, and I think especially in our day and age, where companies are are working more remotely, or even if they're not remote workers, they have multiple locations across continents. Right? You need you need the the flow of information and of growth to go between peers. The same person doing. Two, two people doing the same job, why should they each learn from scratch? Why, why shouldn't we scale this? Mm-hmm. So between either peers or um, you know people who are a little bit more senior, uh, by the way, a really interesting thing that we see is that people think, oh, so all the C-suite and the VPs are going to be super busy because everyone is going to want to speak and learn from a VP. But actually, people are much more eager to learn from someone who was just there, who's just like a step or two ahead of them. It's also much less intimidating, right? Mm. Yeah. I wonder if you ever run into, you know, an issue of competition. Because I think knowledge sharing, uh, you know, in the context that we've been speaking about so far, sounds like, you know, oh, yeah, people are like very open to share and, you know, people are very open to um, you know, connect and, and tell you just, you know, how things work so that they're setting you up for success. 
But I wonder, do you ever face, you know, um, this issue where people seem competitive or maybe they don't want to share? Because sometimes if you know a lot, I mean, knowledge, knowledge is power to, you know, to a certain extent. If you know a lot, like it can put you in a different position altogether and maybe at a competitive advantage or disadvantage. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think the powerful thing here is that um, when you ask a question, you find, like we find you the, all, the, all the relevant people who volunteered. Mm-hmm. So first of all, you don't have to volunteer to contribute and also you don't have to volunteer for a specific case. But what's, what we see is also like you'll narrow it down, like all the search results that you get. So you'll narrow it down by the perspective you want. So either I want to shadow that person on a call or I want to uh, get like one-on-one advice or, you know, someone specifically from my location who understand not, not, o- not only understands like the uh, company-wide culture, but also the culture in Israel or in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a lot of opportunity. Like, we really need to double opt in. So you will see if it's someone that you actually don't feel comfortable sharing your question with. On the mentor side, we haven't seen that yet, but I'm sure we will. Uh, and that's okay. I think, uh, you know, the mentors also have, like, they can, mm. they can decide if they want to take on a case or not. Um, but what we do see that people do is really leverage the fact that they're mentoring Mm-hmm. in order to sort of promote and, and position themselves inside work. So um, so we have uh, this dashboard where HR and leadership can see, um, they can see a lot of things, but, but anonymously, because that's really, the trust thing is mm-hmm. really, really important. So they can see what are yeah. the trends of the, like the, the most burning topics and how does that relate to the supply of the knowledge inside the organization. So maybe you see that a lot of people are asking about sales negotiation or about employee conflict, but actually only five people have signed themselves up to mm-hmm. share knowledge on this. So that can give you a lot of insight uh, on, I probably do have more than five people who can, uh, help with this, maybe I should be encouraging them to join or maybe I should be bringing in a consultant or a training session on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the only non-anonymous data that they have about uh, they have on the dashboard is who are the leading mentors. Um, and we're tying that into rewarding those people and recognizing them and sort of uh, connecting that to sort of the success, the succession planning um, and the performance reviews. So that's a big reason for people to... Um, to actually want to, to invest some time in that. So it sounds like this kind of platform is beneficial for pretty lar- large companies. So let's say, you know, I mean, there are a bunch of small companies, you know, that could, that could benefit from a, you know, framework like this. But if you have 20 companies and you haven't, sorry, I mean, if you have 20 people in a company, let's say, and someone's asking a question, but no one can, <laughs> you know, like give an answer, then it becomes, you know, yeah, do you need a minimum number of people? Yeah, for this yeah. to work. Yeah, so we we we're targeting large companies, companies above a uh, thousand employees, and even shooting for much higher, actually. Um, with smaller companies, it's it's really interesting because I think like I can really <laughs> relate because you know, having been self-employed and working a lot with smaller brands. Um, so there is, on the one hand, there's like the question of does the the knowledge even exist inside the company? And that's a good question to have. Um, and 
smaller companies, if, if, if the answer is no, then they need to find a solution of either bringing in expertise, bringing in consultants or coaches, etc. Um, and then the other question that is even more interesting, like I find it fascinating, is the company culture. Because if the knowledge does exist and you're 20 people or even 100 people, um, and still people don't feel comfortable in asking the questions or in, you know, connecting with other people, then that's uh, a problem that no software uh, platform can really solve. And that's something that is really sort of sort of harkens back to the company's values and the hierarchy and the ways that, that things are done. So I'm curious in these larger companies, how do you encourage people to use this software when they're already burdened with like email and the project management software and then the Slack and it's like notification overload and then you're asking people to <laughs> you know input what you're great at and then spend time teaching people and it sounds really ideal and in reality I'm wondering how you maintain that. So that that's really spot on. Like we call it platform fatigue. Because think about it, even like for us, we're less than ten people and we have email and calendar and Slack and WhatsApp that somehow became our company Slack and you know <laughs> Monday.com for tasks and like a million things. So uh, of course for like larger companies they have like their their payment things and they have like a million platforms. Uh, so definitely there is a platform fatigue. It's very, very real. And for us, it has been a challenge. Uh, but it's a challenge that also led us to actually the next step in our vision. Um, so first of all, we're working on integrations with Slack and Facebook Workplace. So you could be, you would be able in a few months to use Emerge from whatever is your homepage at work. So that's the first step. But that actually also brought us to ask ourselves like a bigger question. Because yes, we started from knowledge exchange and knowledge sharing between people. But if you remember, one of the things that really disturbed me in the beginning was, hey, all those resources, so to speak, are already there. How come it's so hard to map and mm-hmm. to tap into that? So that made me think, hey, what other resources do we have at work? And a lot of them suffer from the same platform fatigue problem because you have a knowledge base where there's a lot of content that someone or a lot of people worked very hard to create. And you have an LMS where you have a lot of courses, one of them probably could help you solve the problem that uh, you're dealing with right now. And um, you have the people around you, right? And you have like a lot of different things. So the next step in, in Emerge's vision is really to be sort of an overlay on top of all those kinds of things. And when you have a question or when we predict that you should be having uh, a question that you have you you have the opportunity to go ahead in your career and, and like get to the next stage. We will offer you not only the right people to talk to, but also the right you know modules in the LMS or the right job opportunities that's actually internal inside of your company. So anything that is contextually relevant to really cut through the noise, um, because I see you know. Someone told me in a large telecom uh, company just two weeks ago, she said like, yeah, when, when we got the first app, everyone was really excited because finally there's an app and not like some old clunky platform like it used to be at work, right? It used to be like we had those great fun apps uh, in our personal lives and, and like everything that had to do with work was like looks, looked like it was designed in the 80s. So with the first app, everyone was super excited and the engagement was amazing. With the second app, 
maybe a little less, but also, but now it's just overwhelming. So we're, we're actually working to help you cut through that. Yeah, I can see that being really helpful. Like whenever I'm using like a, a platform like Teams or, or Slack to just, if there was some smart overlay, like, oh, can someone help us with this legal issue? And that person can come in and, and you can tag them technically, but I don't know, some yeah. integration would be nice. And sometimes you don't know who is that person. Yeah. Uh, or you know that person, but you don't know that they also have been dealing with the same thing and found like a way to hack it or, mm-hmm. or, or a way to solve it. So why should you start from scratch, especially in larger organizations when it's all already be done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's really, it's really just about cutting through the noise and, and sort of uh, um, making those things rise uh, to the, for you. Yeah, and really empowering people to just ask and ask for support. Yeah. yeah. I know you mentioned earlier, um, you know, that people who are putting, who essentially volunteer to become mentors or to help, you know, answer a lot of questions, um, they learn also a lot about, you know, uh, themselves and maybe becoming an expert in in that field or in that knowledge particular, you know, to that, uh, what's important in the workplace. So I'm, I'm wondering if we can expand on that a little bit more. How do you feel like having a better knowledge exchange um, would evolve not just the people in the workplace, but also the company itself? Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting. Like, I, I find this field fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm, oh, sorry. And I, uh, I'm really, I feel privileged that I get to explore sort of all those changes because I have this business. So one of the really interesting uh, shifts is that we have like n- work and organizations now understand that not everyone should be or wants to be a manager. And the fact that you're not going to be a manager doesn't mean that you're going to stay a junior. So we have like these different sort of uh, routes that you can take. You can be a manager and you can be an IC, um, right? What's an IC? What's an IC? Um, individual contributor. Took me oh, a second. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so that means like you don't necessarily want to be a manager. You work well. You're, you're a good solo worker, right? But you have maybe even 20 years um, under your belt as experience and uh, you want to become an expert in something and the, the go-to person for that. And we see it a lot in, in tech companies like Facebook uh, and such. So being a mentor allows you to either prove and, and sort of uh, uh, exercise the muscle as a manager. But even if you're an IC and you sort of work uh, more in a silo and you're not uh, necessarily um, cooperate, you know, coordinating every day with, uh, with a team, you still have a way to connect and to contribute to other people. That, that's a really interesting point you bring up because it goes into this notion of um, introverts in the workplace and for so long their talent has been maybe not leveraged as much because we promote extroverts and managers. Um, so what's really interesting about what you're doing is maybe like you can really explore more a wider net of, of talent in the workplace. Totally, and I think, uh, you know, I'm sort of an introvert masquerading as an extrovert, so I really um, connect to that. Uh, and I think especially in the U.S., uh, we really, really um, reward extroverts. Um, and one of the things that we're excited uh, to sort of empower inside the organization is if someone, even if someone is not the most vocal person in a meeting or the most visible or they're not in headquarters, right, they're in Israel or India or London or whatever, uh, they can still show their value, 
and they can sh- still shine as leadership material. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, and to your question, and every day about uh, how it helps uh, companies. Um, so one of the things, uh, like probably the first and foremost, is really to engage as employees. And a person, an employee who's more engaged, is a, an employee that is happier, that is more um, productive, and that is less likely um, to live to leave. Uh, voluntarily, mm. and employees that leave on voluntarily, you know, the, the subject of employee attrition is a very, very p- painful subject yeah. for organizations. Uh, now, if, if we delve deeper, like beyond, like the retention versus attrition side, which is a huge, huge, like hundreds of billions of dollars problem, um, there's the subject of really how effective things are. If companies are more and more required to grow at a rapid, like crazy pace. How do they do that? They're hiring thousands of people every year, but they need to somehow also make sure that the, the methodologies and the systems and the way that things work inside um, are supporting that. So if there's more of a knowledge exchange and there's a, a culture of learning and a culture of not just staying in your lane, but actually being open-minded and thinking outside the box and looking for answers, even if they're not, you know, written anywhere uh, in huge letters, mm-hmm. then that really empowers the growth of the company. Yeah, it could be really interesting how all of the trends that you're finding in research, how that can get reflected back into the onboarding, what you were saying earlier, and like how you start to screen people differently um, based on um, maybe their attributes of mentorship and things like you were talking about. Yeah, I think I think that's fascinating. Uh, talking to to like companies that are very high growth, like uh, WeWork and Facebook, and you know uh, those those companies in the world, it seems like they're already starting to take that into account uh, while screening people and interviewing them. Culture is a huge, huge, huge uh, culture fit is a huge, huge thing, uh, which has also like its pros and cons because I think sometimes we're so in love with finding the culture fit that it's sort of puts us in our comfort zone and maybe mm-hmm. we find like people who look and, and, and uh, act and behave the same like the people that we're already com- comfortable with. Yeah, we've <laughs> talked about this in the past where, you know, I think it's better if companies try to look for a culture ad as opposed to a culture clone. <laughs> I, I completely agree and there, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the uh, friend bring, brings friends uh, sort of uh, recruiting yeah. system that has proved itself super, super, super productive for companies and efficient more than, you know, uh, more than headhunters, etc. But it really sort of makes you stagnate and, and like stay in that in that familiar zone. On the other hand, uh, culture fit when it comes to how do you communicate, uh, how open-minded you are to other people, uh, how much of a slow learner you are, how much do you feel comfortable in contributing and, and teaching other people and not just being very possessive on your knowledge, that's really important. And that's something that even with a tiny team, I can tell you that that's, that, that's something that I hire with that in mind because... That's a big, if, if you bring in someone and they can be like the most brilliant engineer or product manager or, you know, salesperson, but they don't have that, then that's going to cause like a ripple effect, not only on their own uh, productivity and performance, but also on, on the entire team around them. Um, and it's really interesting. And we've been looking a lot on the onboarding side. How do you Okay, so you've hired that amazing person who's really that culture ad person, but then after they sign the contract before they even started. How do you help them start with, you know, bring their 
uh, best foot forward and really start them right away from this um, from this experience of learning and of contributing. So that I think will be the next step in the future of work, uh, a lot of what we'll, we'll be talking about. So learning, mentorship, teaching, <laughs> guidance. Yeah, I wish this was to... all transparent yeah. on company websites <laughs> because I think it's really hard to discover that unless you know someone on the inside. Yeah, I think you know uh, companies like Glassdoor, comparably, indeed, they're doing very well exactly because of that. Yeah. Um, of course, it can never be completely transparent, and when people tend to write about things when they're unhappy rather than when they are happy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, really interesting to, to see, and we do a lot of research on Glassdoor and comparably mm-hmm. prior to um, client meetings and really un- trying to understand, trying to get like that glimpse into the, the real culture behind the walls. Yeah, and I remember, you know, I was always told that, hey, you'll learn on the job, <laughs> you know, which I think which is like a harsh reality because I think when you're going from an educational system, like let's say you, you've gone through college where, where all you're doing is learning and socializing, then you, you know, go into the workplace and it's just a very different environment. Yeah. So it's, so, you know, it can be shocking to be like, oh, now I have to figure things out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a big, like... I didn't have any higher education, and I, my, my dream is sort of to go to business school. Uh, but I was shocked talking to my friends who have had a lot of education, mm-hmm. how unprepared they felt, mm-hmm. um, even like not just in the very beginning. I just had this conversation today uh, with someone who has like an internship program, and she said how companies are reluctant to... Uh, to really uh, hire anyone who hasn't had extensive internship uh, experience, not because of the, the, the dry knowledge, not because of like the, okay, I know just this and this uh, coding language. It's exactly because you learn how to interact and communicate and you know work with people and be responsive and mm-hmm. how do you operate in a crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be so particular to the company or the service or product that they're selling too, right. you know? It's not, yeah, not all organizations are yeah. the same and, and need uh, different levels of communicating and interaction. Yeah, one of the things that I find really fascinating is how empathy mm-hmm. is becoming currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, like, as a culture, we're in love with technology and I'm the first in line. Hey, I'm like, I started a tech business. But um, I find it um, weird when people sort of celebrate technology as the end all and, and be all. Mm. I think technology needs to be sort of the, the, the means to an end. Yes, um, I'm high fiving <laughs> you right now. <laughs> um, and I think uh, what we're trying to do, but even the bigger picture, yeah, right? Beyond Emerge. Um, it's about human connection. It's mm-hmm. about empathy. And as we're more and more surrounded by AI and technology, even though don't get me started about people talking about AI when it's actually not AI. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> In our next episode. <laughs> but uh, as, as we're more and more surrounded by AI, when the robots will walk the earth, and, sure. you know, um, empathy will be such an important thing and so expensive, right? And so precious, especially in the workplace, because in tough situations, you need problem solving. You need uh, someone who can qu- uh, think quick on, on, uh, on their feet and someone who understands the people at the other side of the table. So I think, every, and that's the future of work, right? Beyond like, okay, so, so there will be robots in, in fulfillment center. It's really important. It has a lot of implications about people's jobs. But what, 
what is actually waiting for us there is understanding the human connection because mm-hmm. that's how you collaborate to that's how you work with people I think it's really interesting to think about that pivot from you know when we first thought about business it was like this high-powered workplace everybody's angry and yelling at each other and like that was your idea of success totally <laughs> and now we're pivoting culturally to empathy and compassion which requires you to like think about other people and like and that's proven now more and more to that's how you get better products and more sustainable yeah. businesses. And, and think about it when you see like when, when you think about like the world's like top business leaders and technology leaders etc. The the like the higher you go, you'll hear them talking more and more about empathy and culture and collaborative working and all of that because that's what they learn on their way to the top. Like it's not about we have like this uh, sort of picture in our minds of this brilliant uh, soloist person who like works at 4 a.m. with nobody next to them, right? It's like a very romantic sort of uh, um, fantasy. Right. Mm. But actually the most successful people are the ones that know how to work with other people. Yeah, I think we've talked about this even in our auto- automation episode. You know, I mean, all these machines are getting, you know, I mean, all these machines that we ourselves are creating and supporting, you know, the growth of, um, I mean, at the end of the day, there's going to, there is a human being behind uh, not only creating it, but also using it. Um, And I think even when we do have robots, if we have robots, there's still (laughs) going to be, there's still going to be a, you know, a human being that's behind, uh, you know, utilizing it or giving it commands to like figure out some algorithms. Yeah. And coming from an architecture background, to bring this in, like, you know, you read about Anne Rand and the Fountainhead and, like, this ideal architect, and people always ask me, oh, who's your favorite architect? And I'm like, I don't know, a lot of them are, like, when you actually go to their buildings, a lot of them can be, like, underwhelming, whereas, like, a lot of the great design firms now are very highly collaborative, team-based. They're more thoughtful about people and mm-hmm. scale, whereas you go to, like, these quote-unquote star architect buildings they have no sense of scale most of the time and it's just <laughs> so you can yeah. see it in all different places yeah and how do they work with their environment like is the goal to like just stand out or is the goal to support like the people who will be mm-hmm. living there so i completely connect to that like i i'm a big aaron sorkin fan <laughs> and i remember in uh studio 60 uh his tv show uh it was like sort of an, an snl type uh um TV show and then the star is, is the writer of it and he's like the thing about him is he's, that is super brilliant and like at the end of the day at 4am when there's no one in the office and no one is bothering him and trying to collaborate with him that's when he shines <laughs> and the funny thing is when I started my career um, I was a translator and I used to joke that I found this job because I would get a book to translate, and then for three months, I wouldn't have to speak to anyone. It would be just me and the computer. And that was, I really believed that at that time. And I don't know if 21 year old me would see me now, like, like my whole day is meeting and collaborating with people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be horrified or not. But now I can't like imagine just like working like that because I think like there's, no matter what sort of a genius you are, if you're just talking, like working alone and relying on yourself, there's going to be a glass ceiling uh, that's Mm. very, very real Mm -hmm. because you don't understand um, 
the goal and, and the goal of anything that we create in life, whether it's a software system, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a gorgeous building, is at the end of the day to serve people. So we have to be very close to, to that target audience. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of um, what people miss sometimes with you know our constant interaction and you know stimulation from technology is that you know all these platforms, all these gadgets and devices are are tools for us to you know that can actually bring us together as opposed to isolating us, which I think yeah. a lot of people suffer from. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I love technology, but I also don't think it's going to save us unless we use it the right way and really treat yeah. it as a tool. Listen, I love gadgets. Uh, I love technology. <laughs> I am actually excited for the machines that are coming. But I think, first of all, we need to understand, make sure that the right people are building it with the right sort of vision in mind. Mm-hmm. Because as we already see with bots, uh, they can become very cruel and very rude uh, <laughs> if that doesn't happen. Wait, robots don't have compassion? <laughs> yeah. No, and if you're like joking or whatever and, and you're... They're going to only do and know whatever that person who designed them uh, sort of put into that. And just as you said, I think a lot of times it's very easy for us to be like that excited kid that sees like a robot for the first time and fall in love with just the gadget for, for the gadget's sake. We need to understand what happens the next day. So anything else you want to <laughs> leave behind on knowledge sharing, what we should know, how maybe we can get emerged to our companies? Um, I think with knowledge sharing, uh, what I would recommend for people who are listening is just to think, who are you exchanging your knowledge with? Is it the same people all the time? Um, are those are the same subjects? Um, what are you putting in? Like, What are you reading, learning, consuming? What conversations are you having? And what are you putting out? Uh, I think uh, you might find out some interesting things you didn't think about. I love that. Thank you, Hedva, for being here and chatting with us. Thank you so much for having me. So if you want to learn more about Hedva's work, you can go to Emerge, that's spelled E-M-E-R-J hyphen work.com. To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening. 